0: Welcome to the Revived Church Podcast with Pastor Todd Mazingo. Are you ready to get into it? So last week we talked about strongholds
1: and how they develop from thoughts to lofty things to speculations, and then they become strongholds, and those strongholds are something that are alive within our belief system. And in 2 Corinthians, we read this, for though we walk in the flesh... We do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Do you know, every one of you in here who is a believer, do you know you personally have weapons of warfare? You have weapons to fight with and they're to be used to destroy strongholds. Those strongholds are the lies that we believe and we have got to break those lies to get out of the captivity of the enemy and have the freedom that we were given free indeed. So last week I mentioned that many of us know we have weapons but our weapons are rusty. We haven't used them. They're there and they're available, but we have not used those weapons. So today we're going to identify just some of those weapons. We're going to clean the rust off those weapons, and we're going to start using them against the strongholds in our life. I'm telling you, for many, many believers, here's how we handle trouble in our life. Things get hard, and we go to someone and we say, Would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? listen when they begin to call and ask me would i pray for them i learned to ask a few questions first questions like what have you already done to defeat this in your life (laughs) questions like what has the holy spirit told you about your situation questions like what was the results of your prayer and fasting in other words, have you personally done what you can do before asking me to get involved? And you say, but pastor, oh, pastor, aren't we supposed to help one another? Aren't we supposed to pray for one another? Aren't we supposed to be there? Aren't we supposed to be a support for our brothers in Christ? Isn't it unloving to ask those questions? What if you had a friend? that asked you to go out car shopping with them. They needed a new car. And you spent the whole day shopping and you finally got to this one place where you found the car. And the car was $10,000. And so you went in and you sat down with the person selling that to you at the dealership and said, this is the car we want. And your, the dealer's uh, person said, hey, how are you paying for that? And your friend said, I've got $10, my friend will cover the rest. Now, no offense, but I would be saying, you went shopping for a car with $10? What car are you gonna buy with $10? You're asking me to pour out all my resources. Where are your resources? I think you might've come unprepared to do this transaction. So today I wanna figure out how to be prepared. How do we do our part when it's time to fight? How do we learn to fight before we ask for help? And that'll make sense in a minute. Learn to be how God says you can be in a fight before you ask others to join you in that fight. I wanna teach you this morning of some of the weapons of your warfare. And I'm telling you, I'm gonna go through a list of things and many of you are gonna think I've never tried that. I've never done that. As a matter of fact, let me maybe shoot out a guess. How many weapons do you think I'll cover this morning? Seven. You're not not halfway there. We're gonna cover 14 weapons that you have. And my list isn't all inclusive. I think these are the easiest ones for you to remember. We're gonna go through 14. So for those of you who are thinking, man, he is preaching forever. Listen, you'll know by the number I give you how close I am to the end. But we're gonna start with your very first weapon of warfare. Listen to me. And by the way, for those of you who are worried about writing these down at the very end, we're gonna put them all up on the screens. You're gonna pull out your phone, you're gonna take a picture of them later, all right? because I want you to remember, first weapon you have is your authority. You have authority. If you do not understand your authority, you are taking your sword and just waving it in the air and hoping it hits something. How does this authority work? Jesus. Jesus has all authority. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen amazing, Pete. And he came and he spoke to them and saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now listen to me. When Jesus says all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, how much authority has been given to Jesus in heaven and earth? All. So how much authority does our enemy have? None. 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 The enemy has no authority and Jesus delegates his authority to you. Luke 10, 19, behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all, how much? All the power of the enemy so that nothing will injure you. Jesus gives the believer authority. The enemy has power. Oh, that, some of you just like what? The enemy can mess with your life. The enemy has the power to bring chaos and lies and destruction. He's here to steal, kill, and destroy, so he has power. But guess what? He has no authority. Why is that important? Because if you have a bomb that you can drop on me, you have power. But if I have the authority to say, you cannot drop that bomb on me, then that bomb doesn't hit me. So you have power of the enemy, but the enemy has no authority. So we use our authority to stop the enemy from using its power. Are you with me? I hope so. Please remember the enemy has no authority and it takes authority to use power. That's one. Number two. The blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. I put them together because Scripture puts them together. I want you to listen closely to the Scripture out of Revelation 12, 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God night and day. And i got to clarify something here. Some of you have heard me talk about this before, but most of us look at this scripture and we say, There's the enemy standing before God accusing me. Can I just tell you that makes no sense? What opportunity would Satan have to complain to God about you? When God knows Satan is a liar and the father of lies, he's gonna give no credibility at all to what Satan says. There would be no reason for Satan to stand before God and accuse you of anything because God knows the truth. That's not what that scripture's saying. That scripture's saying that he stands before you and accuses you before the Father. He accuses you, you are worthless, you have sinned too much, you cannot be used. I, heard, I saw what you looked at on the computer last night, so forget church in the morning. He's gonna accuse you and he's doing it in the presence of God. So as he accuses you to your face, you must understand the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. Because there's hope in this very scripture. If we read the next one, it says, and they overcame him, that accuser, who stands before them and accuses them before God, because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony, for they did not love their life even when they faced with death. And listen, they overcame Satan's accusations. How? By depending on the blood of Jesus to take away your condemnation. You didn't get that yet. The devil is condemning you, but it is the blood of Jesus that sets you free from condemnation. So I don't have to accept what the enemy is accusing me of because of the blood of Jesus. If that takes away my condemnation, then I have got to testify to that. I have got to tell the enemy, you don't have a shot at me. You don't have a shot at me. I'm not listening to your lies. Listen to me. If you haven't got this concept, grab it. If it is said about you and it is truth, be concerned. If it is said about you and it is a lie, blow it off. Be done with it you don't have to worry about that why because it's not the truth about you and it's the enemy trying to drag you into a lie and the person speaking the lie will be dealt with by God but you need to march on say that's not true I'm not dealing with it. I'm not accepting that about me that's not truth for this reason rejoice O heaven and you who will be in them Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you. He's not before God accusing you. He is on this earth. He is here having great wrath, knowing that he only has a short time. If you haven't figured out that we don't have much time left, you need to get in gear. The devil only has a short time. So why am I going to give in to him? It's almost over for him, it's almost done. I gotta keep on fighting. I gotta stay in the game and know this is about to be over. Number three, worship. Worship is a weapon of your warfare. And most people in here who know their Bible very well are gonna say, oh, he's gonna go to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. He's gonna talk about Jehoshaphat and how he sent all the worshipers out in front of him in the battle and the enemy started killing themselves. I could do that. I could do that, but it's too easy. I want to go to Psalms 149. I want to show you something I bet you haven't seen before. Psalms 149, 1 through 4. Praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song and his praise in the congregation of the godly ones. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the son of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing. Let them sing praises to the hymn with timbrel and lyre. That is a description of how we worship. We sing. We are glad when we sing, most of us. We rejoice. We praise, we dance, we have instruments. Now look at the results of doing that praise in verse four. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people and he will beautify the afflicted ones with salvation. We sing, we rejoice, we dance, we play instruments, we praise God. While we are under affliction, and he beautifies us with victory. What a weapon that is. What a weapon that is. Because if you look at that word victory here in the Hebrew, It's actually a word you would know in the New Testament called Yeshua, but in here, in Psalms 149, the definition, the way the word is used doesn't mean savior. It means victory. So God is saying, when you praise me, I will beautify your affliction with victory. Weapon is a warfare. Number four. Praying and fasting. One of the least understood weapons of warfare in Christendom because most of us understand prayer. And when we pray, we're asking God for a rescue. But few people understand fasting and why eating nothing in any way helps us when we pray. It's not about the food. It's about where your attention is. I've made this demonstration many times. If you wanna really learn about fasting, go back to the first sermon of this year. We did it on fasting, but here was the reality. Man is made of a body, that's what you can see. He has a soul, that's my thought process, what's going on inside of me. He has a spirit that's been made alive when I come to know Christ, and the Holy Spirit begins communicating with my spirit that communicates with my soul, that directs my body. (coughs) Why would that be important? Because my soul is in the middle. My soul is in the middle listening to both the spirit and the flesh. And what God is saying is you've got all your attention on the flesh. You're trying to satisfy and meet the needs of the flesh. Sorry, that was good singing. But what I want you to do is take your soul away from the flesh and turn it to the spirit have your communication your constant contact with the spirit defy deny turn away from the flesh turn toward the spirit that's why when we pray and we don't eat we're saying I don't want to think about the flesh right now I want to focus in on the answer in the spirit number five (coughs) declarations of all things while the enemy's trying to get my voice not going to happen <laughs> not going to happen proverbs 18:21 death and life are in the power of the tongue And those who love it, the fact that death and life are in the power of the tongue will eat its fruit. The Bible is clear that our words are powerful, that we can eat from the fruit of our words. Let me say that again. We can eat from the fruit of our words. Now listen to this in Job 22:28. You will also decree a thing and it will be established for you and light will shine on your ways. You will decree a thing and it will be established. Why? Because there's power in your words. We are to decree and declare things that need to be established. Oh man, pastor, are you one of those name it, claim it people? No, because I understand the will of God and the character of God. And I'm not decreeing things I want. I'm decreeing things that he has said so that they may be established. When you declare you are speaking into your atmosphere, what is truth? And your atmosphere may be filled with lies and truth needs to be expressed. Have you ever listened to one of those speakers that everything seems to be kind of convoluted about the topic, you're not really sure, and boom, they just land a bomb. And you're like, well, I can't deny that. That's that, that makes the whole thing kind of fall apart and now it makes sense. This is true. A, a man can't be a woman. Why? Because he was born a man. He can't be a woman. We have to speak truth and you have to consider, listen to me, what you're declaring, what you're decreeing. Listen, when the times get tough, are you saying things like, I can't ever seem to win? It's like everyone is against me. I am so fed up. Everything is so unfair. Do you realize you're decreeing things into the air? You're speaking things out that will be established or you can declare the joy of the Lord is my strength. If God is for me, who's gonna be against me? All things work together for my good. In all things, we are overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loved us. Maybe it's time to start declaring things that are of the word of God so that they are established in your life. Number six, repentance. strap yourself in I've been a long-standing believer that we as believers as Christians have the wrong view of repentance because we typically think of repentance in the wrong frame of mind we think it's begging forgiveness it's being guilty and shameful recognizing how bad we are thus we repent and change our ways Then I read this scripture in Romans chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 4. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his God's kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Think about this with me. Think about this with me. Go there. What kind of God uses kindness to make you feel miserable? No, think about this. What kind of God would say, I'm just gonna love on you so you feel like trash. (laughs) And then maybe you'll repent. Instead, we need to look at repentance for what it is in the Greek, the metaneo, I'm changing my mind. I believe something and that something was wrong and now I'm gonna start believing what is right. How do we get saved? We repent. We decide. We say, I can no longer be worthy before God on my own. I need what Jesus did. I was wrong. I thought if I gave enough people at the corner a buck that I got my ticket into heaven. But it ain't that way because I need Jesus and what he did for me. I change my mind and say, no, no, no. I've gotta have Jesus. We understand that we sinned and offended God. We understand that he has made a way for us to be saved. We change our mind that we actually do need Jesus to be saved and we put our faith in Jesus's work on the cross. I repented. I had a new line of thinking here. And I'm not saying that it won't have tears, that it won't have quietness, that it won't have contemplation, but listen to me. Sometimes repentance can have joy and rejoicing and revelation. Why? Because I'm finally off the negative track. I'm finally off the lie. I'm into the truth and I'm thinking, God, thank you. Thank you for showing that to me. Thank you for giving me joy again. Thank you for releasing me from that burden. I repent, I just wanna be walking in your ways and in your kingdom and in light and life. But repenting is a weapon Maybe we need to change your mind that you're not a victim, but you are a victor Maybe you need to change your mind that that bad situation is not going to last forever Maybe you need to change your mind that God does not care But that he is coming to my rescue Do you need to repent if you do listen your actions will follow that's how you identify true repentance did my attitude, did my action, did the way I approached it, the way I thought about it, did it change? If it didn't change and I'm still thinking the old way, I'm just telling you something different. But when I repent, my ways actually change to match that. And some of us need to repent for relying on someone else to pray for us when we could have fought our own battle. Just change your mind. Say, from here on out, I'm doing my own fight. Number seven, seven, praying in the spirit is a weapon of warfare. For some of you here, that's a new thing. It's a big controversy in the church at large. And if you struggle with praying in tongues, listen, go to YouTube, put Todd Mozingo and tongues in. And you're going to see a three-part series I did that walked through all of that Scripture about tongues so we could finally get that thing figured out and whether or not we should be using it in a church setting and in our personal prayer life in our prayer. But praying in the Spirit is a weapon to strengthen the believer. Do you know that when you go to war, you bring water? Why? Because your warriors need to be refreshed. This is how praying in the tongues works. Every believer, when we pray in the spirit, we're praying in a spiritual language in order to build us up. First Corinthians 14, two, for the one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands, but in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. First Corinthians 14, five, the one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. What is edify? It means to build up. It means to strengthen. The one who speaks in tongues is strengthening himself, getting ready for battle, Jude 20. But you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Did you see the building up? Building up, you gotta build yourself up in the same way you gotta edify yourself. You gotta pray in tongues. If you don't have that gifting, stick with me. I got saved when I was 20. I did not speak in tongues until I was 50. That's 30 years. Do you know why for 30 years I did not? Because I didn't believe it was for me. I didn't believe you could. I was told in the church I was in, that doesn't come around anymore. That doesn't even work anymore. You can't work in that anymore. Guess what? You can. Number eight, no your identity. Know your identity. This is a weapon of warfare. Romans eight fourteen. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to, leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons of Because of the spirit of adoption, because we were adopted, we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit, body, soul, spirit, Holy Spirit. The spirit testifies to our spirit. You are adopted. You are a child of God. And if children, then heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we might be glorified with him. Ephesians 2.19. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints. You're of the household of God, Second Peter 2, 9. But you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into marvelous. I don't know if you're hearing this. But these scriptures just said, here's your identity. Sons of God, children of God, adopted by the Father, joint heirs with Jesus, fellow citizens with the saints, in God's household, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a possession of God. What do you have to fear? What do you have to fear? The accusations of the liar who tells you you are not a son of God? Why would you fear that when the description of your identity is so laid out and so clear? And if we're gonna jump into that scripture that you're familiar with, maybe you won't have looked at this one the way you have before in Ephesians 6. We're about to go on to the next set. Ephesians 6, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God So that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Why do you have armor? So that you can go to war against the enemy. Why do you have armor? So that you can fight. For our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers, against powers, against the world of forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything, stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth having put on a breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all of that, take up a shield of faith with you, which will be able to extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So we're about to pick up six more weapons. Here we go, number one, truth. Gird up your loins with truth. We call this the belt of truth. We have talked a lot about truth in the last few months. And if you don't know truth, you're in chaos. You're in chaos if you don't know truth. Truth is the foundation. And Jesus says of God, your word, God, is truth. So what do I stand on? The word of God, it is truth. Listen to me, the world is lying to you. The world is trying to create confusion and chaos. If you do not know truth, you will join their chaos. We are not religious zealots or bigots. We are people who stand on the truth. I want you to notice the context of John 17, 15 and 17. Jesus is praying to God and he says, I don't ask you to take them out of the world. I don't know about you, but I wish he would have. I wish he would have just said, you came to Christ, heaven bound, go. Get on, get on, I'll see you there. I don't ask you to take them out of the world. But if they're going to be in the world, keep them from the evil one. For they are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Did you see the shift? I don't know if you saw the shift in the conversation. But he just said, I'm not asking you, God, to take them off the planet. They're here. I just want you to protect them from the evil one. Now, when he talks about protecting from the evil one, look at how he does it. He says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. If they know the truth, they will be protected from the evil one. That's Jesus saying, here's your weapon. Know the truth. It'll set you free. You'll be free indeed. Jesus says, God, keep them from the evil one by sanctifying them in the truth. What does sanctify mean? Because some of you got hung up there. That word sanctify means to purify internally by a reformation of the soul. Wow, that was complicated. My soul's a mess, God. It is full of lies. I don't know what's truth. I'm living in chaos. But I need to be sanctified. I need an internal purification so that my soul is reformed. The word reformed, reformed, Re, meaning back again, formed means put into a shape. I need to be put back into the shape that you created, God. I need the soul of Adam and Eve. I need my soul reformed into a soul that knows truth. So how can I fight the enemy if I don't know that God is on my side with the truth? And how can I believe that God is on my side if I'm not? I'm reading the wrong part of my notes. I'm sorry. I, I I'll say this. I am amazed at how many believers don't know the word of God. You know what you heard. You know the interpretation of someone who read it to you or had a YouTube channel or did a Bible study. But we haven't gone back into the word for ourselves. Listen to me. It is the Holy Spirit who will guide you into truth. If you're not interested in knowing truth, don't talk to the Holy Spirit. But when you go into scripture, never, never, everybody say never. Never Never read a scripture without asking the Holy Spirit to interpret it for you. Never read a scripture without asking the Holy Spirit to say, what is it that I need to know about this? What is the truth about this scripture? And quite honestly, when we're talking about using the truth as a weapon, you get into the battle. You get into the fight, you get into the oppression, you get into the anxiety, you get into the depression, you get into the affliction, you get into whatever, and you don't even have a word to declare against it because we don't know scripture. Listen, every believer ought to have a handful of things that I throw at the enemy, that I just say, when you try to attack me, I've got the word of God with me and I'm gonna declare it to your face so you gotta get out of here. We need truth to fight, number 10 the breastplate of righteousness. Romans 5, 19. For as though through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. What did he just say? He said, Adam fell, and therefore this world was infected with sin. Through the sin of one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Even so, through the obedience of one, capital O, Jesus, the many will be made sinners righteous. Do you know that you are righteous before God? You're saying this is a weapon? Yes, this is a weapon. You are righteous before God. Why is it a weapon? Because if sin separates us from God, hence Adam and Eve, then how important would it be to know that we are no longer separated from God? If sin separates you from God, how important would it be to know that you're no longer separate? How can I fight the enemy if I do not know that God is on my side? How can I believe that God is on my side if I do not believe I have right standing with God? Listen, righteousness, replace that with right standing. You have right standing with God. He says, you want to talk? Come on, let's talk. You need some help, I'm there for you. You wanna you want claim me, you're, you're mine. I'll tell everybody, you're mine. I have right standing with God, 2 Corinthians five twenty one. He, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness in right standing with God in him, Jesus. What did it just say? I am in right standing with God because I'm in Jesus. Why would that be important as a weapon of warfare? Because I can boldly approach the throne of God. Because I can ask God for strength and confidence and courage and expect him to give it to me because I'm in right standing. He's not sitting back saying, I don't know, man. Last week, you were pretty snotty to your boss. So um, let's let's give it a week and then me. No, he's saying, you're my kid. You're my kid. I got you. What do you need? I'll supply it. Come on. John 15, seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Oh no, that's not the BMW in the driveway. That's whatever I told you to ask for, you can ask for. If I don't know that I'm righteous before the father, if I don't know that he's got my back, I'm weak, I'm timid. How do you go against Satan if you don't know God's behind you? If that lion isn't roaring behind me, how much confidence do I stand? If I don't know my identity before the Father, I am weak. But if I know it, I'm bold, I'm strong, I'm courageous. I've got his backing. Number 11, we're getting there. Shield of faith. Shield of faith. This is a protective weapon of warfare. This is the one that protects you. If you have faith, you can move mountains. What is faith? Hebrews 11, 1. Now faith is the assurance. It's the assurance. I'm assured of the things I'm putting my hope in. It's the conviction of what I don't even see. So why is faith an important weapon? Because you may not see the answer to your illness and you may not know how the rent is gonna be paid. And you may not understand how that relationship can be salvaged because you don't think you can make it another day under the stress, but faith is the assurance that the illness will end, that the rent will get paid, that the relationship will mend and you will make it another day. Faith keeps you from giving up. Faith keeps you in the fight. Faith protects you from the accusation of the enemy how do i know that what satan is saying about me is a lie because he's a liar how do i know he's a liar because i have faith in what god says so my faith shields me from his accusations from the flaming darts and arrows i can say nope not nope 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 12. helmet of salvation three to go It's always been interesting to me that the helmet represents salvation. Of all the things, because I wouldn't have thought that. I wouldn't have thought if God was putting together a description of armor and said, here is your helmet of salvation. I would have expected him to say, I'm going to put a piece over your heart, uh, maybe an umbrella over your soul. But he says, I'm going to give you a helmet of salvation. Here's what I think that represents. It protects my mind. It protects my mind. Consider this, what does it mean to know in your mind, what does it mean to know that you are saved? What does it do to your perspective about the enemy if you know you're in the kingdom of God? What does it mean to you to know that you are in the kingdom of light, life and truth. What does it mean to know that the enemy does not have rights to you anymore? I have learned and understood what my salvation represents. So I need this helmet to protect my thoughts because I must remember that I am saved from the enemy and I have to protect my mind because it's the battleground for attack. Philippians four, eight through nine. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. These things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Isn't it interesting that he says your mind has to have a focus. Your mind has to be thinking about what is honorable, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is of good repute, why? Because it doesn't give any room for the enemy to get into your mind. Because my mind is fixated on the things of God, my mind is fixated on truth, it's fixated on peace. I don't have time. What can I do thus that I've got my helmet of salvation and my mind is secure? I can take every thought captive. I can take every thought captive, never get to lofty thing, never get to speculation, never get to stronghold. Number 13. I need more fingers. Sword of the Spirit. What is the sword of the Spirit? Thank you. My notes actually say, read the verse. Sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God is a weapon for you. Jesus taught us directly directly how to use the sword of the spirit against satan directly taught us how where in the wilderness with satan What did Jesus say when Satan brought the temptations? Jesus was led up by the spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus answered and said, it is written, man will not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Then Jesus said to him, go Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord and him only will you serve. And what was Satan's response? He was done. Had to move on to something else. Why? Because Jesus was declaring the word of God. <laughs> Next. I think the entire beauty of the picture is that Satan had no response. I gotta try something else. You gotta bring something else, I'll give you another word of God. You gotta bring something else, I'll give you another word of God. You gotta bring something else, I'll give you another word of God. Let's be done with this, we're wasting our time. The truth of the word of God cannot be refuted by Satan. He has no rebuttal, no retort, no response to the word of God. Satan has to move on. He is defeated by trying to use the word of God, watch, when he has no authority. Didn't he say, it is written, Satan? But he had no authority. So it could not be decreed or declared. And don't forget, there's also a rhema word of God not only the scripture that we're using, but the things that God is speaking to us now. God can speak you directly to you today. What the eye is not seen, the ear is not heard, nor does it enter the heart of God, what is being released by the spirit to us so that we can know the things that God has for us. He is speaking with us today. If he's not speaking to you, why are you praying? I can't forget there's a rhema word of God. I can't forget that that can mend the relationship. It can tell me what I need to do to fix it. It can tell me what my perspective ought to be about this person that I'm holding some grudges against. It can tell me how to overcome victimhood. Let's go to number 14. The shoes of the gospel of peace. And yes, I did it out of order intentionally to save it to the end. You gotta know the gospel you know how I see this in this conversation? The gospel is how I recruit more warriors. It's how I recruit more people to the fighting army of the kingdom of God. You wanna fight better, get more warriors. You wanna be a stronger army, get more warriors. What is the gospel? The gospel is the fact that God has created us. We did not evolve. Evolution cannot answer the male and female question nor the survival of the fittest. It would have never had male and female And survival of the fittest. It would have done it as one. God created us male and female so that we could reproduce and take dominion over the earth. But instead, man, first couple created, decided to disobey what God said. Remember, his word is truth. And if you eat from that tree, you'll die. But Satan came in and he planted a lie in Eve. He said, if you eat from that, you'll be like God. She was deceived. Adam sinned. They separated man from God by saying, we will no longer follow you, God, and what you say to do, we're gonna follow Satan and what he says to do. So now man and God are separated because they've stepped out of the kingdom of light into the kingdom of dark, and God is in the kingdom of light saying, I'm not gonna let that remain. I will make a way for you to get out of that kingdom back into my kingdom and I'll do it through my son. Jesus will come and he will live a life. And he who knew no sin will become sin so that you could be righteous again. How does that work? Jesus comes to this world and he never breaks his relationship with God. He never defies God. He never disobeys God. He is perfect, which means when his body stops working, he should be stepping right over into the kingdom of light. But that's not the plan. The plan is that Jesus, the perfect one, would look at all those who are in the kingdom of darkness and say, I'll take your punishment and your condemnation so that you can come back into the kingdom of light. How does he do that? He's mocked. He's spit upon. He's whipped. He's abused. He's carried up to a cross. And he is crucified. Why would that be important? Because on that cross, he took the punishment for my sin and for your sin. He took all of the consequences for that. What do you mean by that, Todd? See, it wasn't about his body dying. It was about that moment when he cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because now all of a sudden, Jesus has taken on all the darkness. And he has paid that penalty of being separated from God But through the power of the Holy Spirit, he has taken out of that and put in the kingdom of God. Why? So that he can prove to you there's a life after this one. He raises from the dead, shows himself to over 500 people. says I'm alive and I'm alive forever and you can be too. You don't have to be separated from God. You don't have to stay in the kingdom of darkness. If you personally would believe that I took that punishment on the cross to get you out of the kingdom of darkness, I'll pull you right out. If you will believe that I raised from the dead so I could give you eternal life with the Father, I'll pull you right out. That's the gospel, that's the good news about what Jesus did because as scripture says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I got no shot, I got no shot. That's what the law was. You wanna try to do it on your own? Obey these 613 rules and these 10 commandments. If you can do it, good luck, no one could do it. But Jesus came and he fulfilled that law. He accomplished it, he was perfect. So he's the only one that could trade with me. He's the only one that can pull me out of the darkness. And he's offering to do that to you today. Listen, it happened to me in a church service in Colleyville, Texas. It finally makes sense. And I repented and I said, you know, I've been trying all my life to be a good enough person that God would say, okay, you're good for heaven, let's go. And God said, you'll never will. You've already blown it. You've already sinned. But my son will take the consequences due to you. And therefore, when you stand before me, watch this. When you stand before me, there are no consequences due to you because Jesus took them all. That's righteousness. I'm now in right standing with God. Why? Because everything I've done wrong was taken care of Jesus on the cross. He took care of it for me. He took the consequence and the punishment. What am I asked to do? Believe it. Believe that it was done for me. If you don't believe it was done for you, you stay in the kingdom of darkness. Ooh, that was blunt, wasn't it? But you can. You can remain in the kingdom of darkness and whoever you're submitted to, whoever you're obeying, whoever you're serving, you'll spend an eternity with them. And God is offering to get you out of the kingdom of darkness back into the kingdom of light by saying, believe that Jesus took it on your punishment on himself at the cross died with it separated from me with it but we pulled him out into the kingdom of light and now he reigns forever as the king of kings maybe you're here this morning and you're not using the weapon of salvation let me tell you what you're doing you're running blind you're running blind against the enemy you got no weapons you got no tools you got lame arguments and he's going to beat you every time because you have no authority you don't have the word of god You don't have righteousness with God to know that you can be strong and courageous and bold and fight. Maybe today, maybe today you wanna repent. Maybe today you wanna say, I'm tired of trying to be good enough by going to church and reading the Bible and not cussing. I'm ready to turn this thing over and just believe that Jesus took all my punishment and he can make me righteous before God. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes for just a moment. I just want you to be alone with you. And I want you to be real. I want you to be serious with you. Are you spending your life fighting and getting nowhere? You feel like God's not there for you, not on your side? You feel like it's just a never-ending battle? That's not the life of a believer. The life of a believer is joy and peace and courage. Maybe, maybe you need to repent. Maybe you just need right now to change your mind and say, all right, I get it. I've been trying to do it on my own. And I'm gonna believe that Jesus took all of that for me on the cross and has made me righteous before God. I could be in right standing with God by believing that Jesus died on the cross for my sin, took all the punishment and condemnation, took the separation from God, and was raised to walk in eternal life that now he's asking me, do I wanna be a part of his eternal life? And my answer is yes. I want to be a part of Jesus's eternal life. I want to be walking in the light of life in the kingdom of God and I want to learn how to fight the enemy so that I can have joy and peace. Make that decision right now. Just make it right now before God. This is not about me and you. It's about you and God. Right where you are, just tell God, I'm done. I'm done with trying to do it on my own. I believe Jesus did it for me. Now bring me into the family. He died for my sins. He was resurrected to show me that there's an eternal life and I'm ready to receive it. I'll take it right now, God. Forgive me. Forgive me through Jesus. Thank you, God. I'm gonna ask you to keep your eyes closed for just a moment longer. Because scripture says that when one person decides I'm gonna repent and I'm gonna believe I need Jesus instead of doing it on my own, that all of heaven rejoices. And I'm just the kind of guy that wants to know if heaven's having a party right now over you. So if you made that decision today, I'm not gonna make you stand up. I'm not gonna make you come up here. You will confess it before men because you can't help it because it's gonna change everything about you. But if you made that decision today, would you just raise your hand? Praise God, I see you. And you, and you, and you. Praise God. All right, awesome. Praise God. Let me say this to you who uh, raised your hand. You have just been forgiven by God for everything. (laughs) Scripture tells us that in this moment, he has wiped your slate of sins clean and he is sending his spirit to you so that you will have new desires. You'll have new desires. You won't desire the things you desired before. He'll begin teaching you, guiding you in the truth. He will fill you. You will understand his presence. You will walk in his ways because he wants you to, because he's going to teach you to. Today, we've learned about 14. I could probably do 14 more next week. We'll wait and see if the spirit leads. 14. So I'm going to ask him to put them up on the screen, and I'm going to ask you to get out your phone. Get out your cell phone and take a picture of one of these screens. I'll try to get out of the way. What? Podium. I can fix that. There's a bad spot right there. When you got it, say, I got it. If you don't, say, "Wait." wait. All right. We'll wait. It's important. If you don't, say, wait. All right, here's what I'm saying. The next trial, the next battle, the next depression, the next I don't know what to do, the next I'm feeling oppressed, the next anxiety attack. Listen to me, I want you to try all 14. Can I tell you something? I played softball for years and years and years, years. And when I got up to bat, I could not hit the ball out of the park. I don't know what it was about me, the way I'm built, my strength, maybe I'm a wimp, I don't know, but I could not hit it out of the park. So here's what I had to do. I had to learn to find that spot right between first and second and hit a screaming ground ball. Why? Because I knew I could get on base if I could get it through that sweet spot. In other words, maybe Maybe declarations is a hit it out of the park, but what I need to be good at is repentance. Maybe knowing my identity will hit it out of the park, but I need to be better at the truth. Here's what I'm saying. Do you wanna try all 14? Yes, you do. Why? So you can find out which one's your best weapon. Because some of you can sing a swing of sword like nobody else some of you can declare like nobody else some of you can get on your face and repent like nobody else but that's going to be your weapon of choice but all of these are available let's try them all i'll ask you all to stand i'll ask my altar ministers to come forward i want to remind you today that we have a book fair going on these are people from revive who published a book at revive so we'd love to have you come and uh come and check out their books. Now, here's what I want you to do as far as the altar ministry goes. I want you to pick one of the 14, one of the 14 that you don't use, that's rusty, that doesn't work for you. And I want you to come and I want you to get somebody to pray that that one becomes effective for you. That's that one. Just come up and ask somebody, how do I believe in the truth more than I ever have? How do I swing the sword of the Spirit? Father God, this morning, we just want to be warriors in your kingdom, using the weapons you gave us, defeating the enemy, and getting rid of the lies in our belief system. We love you. In Jesus' name.
0: Well, what did you think? Has God been speaking to you about any of these things? We would love to hear from you. You can email us at podcast at reviveusnow.com. We're really excited that Pastor Todd has released his first book of 2023, Love Never Lies. He shares with us how Jesus loves us, but he always tells us the truth about sin and righteousness and how we should act in this world. The world wants to tell us what the Bible says about these things and how our understanding is unloving, even hateful. But we must look for ourselves at the Bible and at Jesus and see that Jesus loves everyone, but he never compromises on truth. This new book is very relevant to all Christians in today's crazy times. Love Never Lies is available on Amazon now. This podcast is brought to you by Revive Church of Stewart, Florida. You can learn more about us at our website, ReviveUsNow.com. If you live in our area or are planning a visit to our area, we would love to have you join us. We are located at 8851 Southwest Old Kansas Avenue, Stewart, Florida. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not click to subscribe right here on the podcast site of your choice? That way you won't miss any of Pastor Todd's and Revive Church's future podcasts. Thank you for joining us.